The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of the following and viewers like you. A recent Research Co. survey on healthcare shows that confidence in our healthcare system is dropping. Three years ago, 77% of Canadians were proud of the healthcare system, says Mario Canseco. In 2022, he says the proportion dropped by 19 points to 58%. And then add in an Angus Reid poll that showed 70% of British Columbians feel the province is doing a poor job in healthcare and the opioid crisis. Prima Horgan pointed the finger at Ottawa saying, the federal government must come to the table to address a lack of federal funding in healthcare across the country to protect and improve the services the people rely on. Well, Dr. Brian Day says, we're doing an awful job of meeting the healthcare needs of Canadians. And it's the core reason he started the Canby Clinic, to give people greater access to healthcare. So that's the backdrop against which the appeal court in BC upheld a ban on paying directly for healthcare and private insurance. A three justice panel ruled in favor of the BC Medicare Protection Act and the court rejected an argument that the public system fails to deliver timely quality care. I invited Dr. Brian Day, the man who is the face of private clinics, to join me for a conversation that matters about what now. Brian, welcome. Thank you. Um, well, we're obviously very disappointed in this decision, um, but actually there were many aspects to the, if you read the decision, which is quite long, um, that we think will help us if we go to the next step, which is the Supreme Court of Canada. Um, just in terms of what you were just saying, I, I do um, disagree with the um, theory that the Premier of BC uh, believes in, which is that all it needs is more money from Ottawa, because in 2004, at a First Minister's meeting, um, they came up, the governments came up with $40 billion to fix fixed healthcare for a generation and here we are it's gotten it's become worse every year and yes COVID has had an impact but it was bad before COVID and now one of the things that's positive in this um, appeal court decision well it's not positive it's a very negative thing is that they have overruled the trial judge um, by coming out with a, a clear statement that people people's lives are being lost because of the wait list. And, um, and so I think that is a pretty drastic statement that, that our health system is forcing people to suffer and die on wait lists. So let's, let's start kind of at the beginning. I think a lot of people get kind of wrapped up in this argument and they go, no, 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 we've got to protect our system and we can't let these kinds of things happen because we hold this up to be a model of healthcare. But they don't fully understand what clinics like yours do. Like what is your primary business? Well, the commonest single demographic of a patient at our clinic is um, a unionized worker injured on the job. WorkSafe BC, and um, these are ordinary British Columbians, and and some and we get patients from the Yukon as well, and um, and they are basically taking advantage of private insurance, and you, you know, eighty nine last year eighty nine thousand patients were treated in private clinics in BC, and a large number of those are injured workers. If they didn't exist, those 
would be put back into the public system and increase the waitlist. This is pretty logical. The other thing that I think needs to be stressed is our case was about the legality, the illegality in Canada and in BC in particular of being able to obtain private health insurance. We are the only country in the world where it's unlawful to obtain private health insurance. We're the only country in the world where patients are forced to suffer and die on wait lists without any way out unless you leave the province or the country and go somewhere else. Okay, then it doesn't quite make sense because didn't you just say that WorkSafe BC is an insurance, a private insurance system that gives access to the services that you're providing? Because when you're doing that work, you're not billing the medical services plan. Bill them but I can't go get my own insurance. So there are exempted groups, and WorkSafe BC is one of the exempted groups. It is a form of private insurance. That's how they describe themselves. And other exempted groups, strangely enough, include judges and federal employees, and um, perhaps more remarkably, federal prisoners. So we sometimes say, and it's not really a joke, is that our case is about trying to get the same rights for Canadians who are not in jail as those enjoyed by those who are in jail. Who are in jail. And um, to me, um, as I say, the fact that we are unique, literally unique on the planet is, is, is something that's quite strange. So what is it about our system that makes it so unique, but also, you know, so challenging? Well, our system is unique in that um, that it's if you're on a wait list for um, a hospital procedure in, in BC or Canada and you have exceeded, even when you exceed the time, the maximum acceptable time that the government has stated by their criteria is likely to cause harm, a risk of harm, mm -hmm. you are forced you are forced to stay on that wait list. And, and so even in our, in our lower court trial, the Supreme Court of BC, um, there was data from one health region in BC that 308 patients died on the wait list in a single year. There's data now big, from Canada that last year over 11,500 Canadians died on public hospital wait lists. Uh, these are people who are forced onto a waitlist with no safety valve allowed legally. They are not al allowed to leave that waitlist unless they leave the province and, or the country. So as far as alleviating some of that pressure on the waitlist, the Canby Clinic, you're dealing with knees, hips, and so on. You're orthopedic surgeons, is that right? No, no, we, oh. we have a wide range of surgeries. We, we treat can, we treat um, cancer. We treat cancers. We we treat um, we we uh, do investigations for um, breast cancers, biopsies. We do uh, colonoscopies on patients who have been shown to have um, a risk of cancer. Um, but um, that's what we were doing previously. But we're not allowed to do that now. So so right now, um, right now patients awaiting a colonoscopy with what's called a positive fit test. In other words, they're at risk. They're, there's a, a one in 40 chance that they have cancer of the colon. They are being forced to wait. Most of them are being forced to wait longer than is safe 
by the government's own guidelines, and they are now um, not permitted legally to access that biopsy and get treated um, by themselves by, um, independently. They are forced to suffer and potentially die on the wait list. And you were providing that service? Yes. And now you're not? Now we're not, because we can't. But we could for a, a, federal, for a federal employee, like a judge or a senator or uh, a minister of the crown. So I gotta get you to hang on for a second while we take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of the following and viewers like you. I know it doesn't make sense to you. It doesn't make sense to me. No, but that's the law. That's the law that's been upheld. So previously, how would it have worked? Somebody says, okay, I, am, I need testing. I need to know, I need the proper biopsy. Yeah. What would be the process for that patient who you're not gonna come from the wait list, but they would come to you. Would they still come to you with uh, medical services plan funding? No, 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 we would never build the medical services plan for, so, so prior to the, this um, decision, and actually we haven't done it for six months because we were waiting for the decision, um, uh, patients would just pay the whole amount up front. And, and, and it would cost for, for those kind of procedures maybe a few thousand dollars. And that's why we were fighting for private insurance. And our clinic, and this, these figures were put forward in our, in our trial. These were from audited statements. On a on per five thousand dollars of revenue, our clinic um, makes sixty five dollars in profit, and that's that's that, a very good no, ROI. It's it's, it's, <laughs> it's not why we opened the clinic. We opened the clinic because in in Canada and in British Columbia in particular, surgeons are denied access to the public operating rooms. So. Um, when, when, I, when I first came, started practicing here, I had 22 hours of operating time a week in the public hospitals. That progressively got cut back to five hours a week. And I had 450 patients waiting for surgery. So the, the, the government has responded to the increasing costs by rationing access to service. And, and in my specialty, say orthopedics, there's some of the biggest wait lists are in orthopedics. There, yes, are two, are. there are 200 unemployed orthopedic surgeons, young orthopedic surgeons who can't get hospital privileges. So it's rationed, it's, it's, it, so Premier Hogan is right in one sense that funding is stopping this because they've fixed the funding. But it's, uh, to me, it's, it's a choice. I mean, do you spend a billion dollars on, um, on building a museum or do you spend the money on treating patients who are going to die if you don't treat them? That's a political choice. You mentioned orthopedic surgeons. I understand they have, in essence, two wait lists. You, uh, let's say, uh, complain of a knee uh, injury or complaint. You go, you have to wait to go see your doctor. Your doctor then makes a recommendation to go and see the orthopedic surgeon. But it could be months, maybe even a year before you get that first appointment. And then you got to wait again before you may have access to surgery. And then even after you wait, maybe a year or more, 
for the surgery, you're liable to be bumped the day before by an emergency that comes in and have to go back uh, go back on, on the wait list. You know, one of the things that's talked about a lot now is the shortage of nurses and doctors. What what needs to be explained is, yes, there is a shortage, but a lot of it is because nurses and doctors are not, the, the workplace has become so toxic in hospitals that nurses don't want to work there. So mm -hmm. actually, if you look at the um, OECD, the developed countries statistics, Canada has an above average number of nurses per population, but the workplace environment is so bad, they are leaving the workplace, They are a lot of them are leaving the country. Um, and the other thing on, on, in terms of manpower, you know, in the 1990s when we opened, BC, the BC government of the, of the era, which happened to be an NDP government, right. um, closed, uh, cut back 1,600 nursing positions and cut back medical schools. And now they're complaining of a shortage of nurses and doctors. It's a shortage they created. So coming back to the point that I cannot come to you on my own and say I need medical attention um, and I go but hang on a second isn't this my body don't I have some right to say what I can and cannot have access to I can do it with my car so why can't I do it with my body well that's that's the, the that's the prime question uh, and uh, uh, someone I know sent me some t-shirts they had made up and on it on the back was on the front was um, who owns my body and on the back is the government does not own my body. So you've hit the nail on the head. This is about an individual making decisions about their own health. And as I say, you know, some of the more complex procedures are very expensive. But we, what we wanted to do was to encourage 70% of Canadians have what's called extended private health insurance covers drugs and dentistry and ambulances you know we don't even cut we call ourselves a universal system you get you need an ambulance you get a bill for it mm -hmm. it's not it's not covered for some weird reason that no one can explain to me but um, those those insurance companies um, which offer that kind of insurance it's very often a work benefit the employers are paying for it I think that there's a good chance that employers would pay for this and again I'll stress this is available in every other country in the world and countries like Sweden and Belgium and Denmark, these are not uh, New Zealand, these are not right-wing radical countries. We do not want a US type system where there's no universal health. We want a strong public system but in all of those countries it's demonstrated unequivocally that having a bit of competition makes the public system perform better. This is our second break. We'll be back in a moment. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of the following and viewers like you. When the decision was hand down, handed down, the Minister of Health, uh, there was a picture taken of him and he was looking very uh, positive or happy about that. But I can't help but ask, who wins? Well, patients lose, that's for sure. Patients lose. Those patients um, that the Supreme Court of Canada has said are, are suffering and dying on weightless, that the Appeal Court of British Columbia has just agreed uh, that these patients are dying and, 
and they, you know, I think if you read the decision, you would see they are not beaming about the health system. They are critical of the health system. It's just that. that they were ruling on law. Yeah, yeah, they were ruling on law, and what, basically what they say this is in this is uh, this is a system that is in severe need of urgent attention and the politicians are not doing it and they need to. Okay, so we take a look at the Chihuly case in Quebec, which basically has con confirmed exactly what you're talking about. In Quebec, if you believe that you're in a situation where you're waiting unduly, you have access to healthcare. It's, it's, Why can they do it in Quebec when we can't do it here in British Columbia? Well, you're, you're saying that as as one might say, when the Supreme Court of Canada has ruled that it's a violation of the citizens of Quebec to, uh, to ban their options to get private health insurance. Um, we, we hope they will rule similarly that this should not just apply to Quebec because um, then you truly, if, if they ruled against us, then you truly do have a two-tier system, one for Quebecers and one for the rest of us. The, the other paradox that, I mean, next week I'll be operating on patients from Alberta and um, Manitoba and, and possibly Ontario, I'm not sure, uh, at our clinic. Um, that's all allowed. Okay. That's all okay. So this is, this is discrimination against the province's own residents. And uh, funnily enough, a few months ago, on the same day as I was operating on Albertans, there was a surgeon in Alberta operating on British Columbians. That's how dysfunctional and illogical this process is. Once you cross a provincial barrier, you're in, quotes, a different jurisdiction and you're, you're, you're allowed to, to, to look after your own body. It's bizarre. So, does that mean uh, based on the on what we're talking about right now, you envision going to the Supreme petitioning the Supreme Court of Canada to hear this case. Well, I think we're seriously considering it. We, I mean, the trouble is, you know, we have a we have a, a a charter of rights and freedoms, but you need millions of dollars to fight for those rights and freedoms. And and an ordinary person, to me, one of the, I mean, it's a bit cynical, but what's the point of having a charter of rights and freedoms if you need millions of dollars to fight for those rights for an ordinary citizen? Um, we were fortunate that we've had a lot of donations and support because we, we couldn't afford to do this. And if we couldn't afford to do it, how can a single individual whose rights are being violated um, fight for their rights? The answer is they cannot. You know, I bumped into Chief Joe Alphonse of the Silkateen First Nation, and when they were taking their case to the Supreme Court. They were running out of money constantly. They had so many people who were telling them to give it up, but they didn't. And in sticking with it, they changed the law in the country, not just in British Columbia, not just their case, but they changed the law in Canada. Do you have that kind of resolve to fight your way through that? Yes, and we're hoping to have some First Nations groups intervene on our side mm -hmm. if we go to the Supreme Court of Canada. There's an indication they will. So what's the process that you have to go through now? And, so, and also, let's also talk about what's the, the, the current status of, of your clinic. So right now we're just treating workers and exempted groups. And, um, 
far, uh, you know, non-residents and uh, visitors. You know, BC does have a lot of tourists. We can treat them. So, I mean, it is like the former Soviet Union in Moscow. You, visitors could go to in tourist shops and, yeah. and shop, but the Mosco Muscovites were not allowed in there um, because it was only for tourists. It's the same with healthcare here. It's crazy, but it's Canada. Third and final break. We'll be right back. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of the following and viewers like you. So do you find that you're getting good public support yes. for what you're doing? Because, and, and I ask this because I bring your name up and in some circles you are hailed as a groundbreaker and in others uh, you're vilified. Yeah, well here's one of the things that happens in when it applies to you, your approach changes. And, and I remember years ago, I was asked to present, in 2002, the Senator Michael Kirby was, had a Senate committee on it, and I was asked to present there. And I said, you know, look at the story of one of your colleagues. Um, there, there were about 12 senators around the table. One of your colleagues, Senator Ed Lawson, former head of the Teamsters Union, he was totally against private health care. But then when he needed heart surgery, he used his reciprocal insurance with the Teamsters Union in the US to go down to Seattle and get his heart surgery. I said, I don't call him a hypocrite, but this is until it affects you or your loved ones, you can't really have the, a true uh, reflection of what this means. And I didn't know, but he was at the table. He stood up and he says, you know, you're right. He says, I, I used to think the way you just described me, and I was wrong, and now I admit it. And, and so, so, so one of the things we do know is that in 2018, Ipsos did a Trans-Canada poll. And across the country, 76% of the public, it was a poll on our trial the, the, at, the, at the BC Supreme Court, 76% of the public wanted us to win this case which is a pretty big majority. I mean, if I were standing for political office and got 76%, I'd be in pretty good shape, I think. So earlier you said it cost millions of dollars to be able to launch a petition to the Supreme Court. You're gonna need support from that 76% of people if you hope to go forward, because I don't think that you have those kinds of financial resources on your own. Well, no, but we, 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 we think we could. We think people are aware of this, and um, that that, as I said, we. And, and this isn't going to help me. Like I'm at the end stage of my career right now, so this is not for me. This is for future generations. But um, but our system is hit by every criteria you could imagine is going bankrupt. It needs more money. Last, uh, this year, we're at 12.7% of GDP. In the 60s, we were 6%, and it's gone up 1% or so every year. This is, take, this is mortgaging our future generation on a dysfunctional system that's not working. And um, we're now, the, uh, uh, of all universal health systems, we are the most expensive. And yet we have the worst outcomes. A group called the Commonwealth Fund have, um, um, they looked at 10 countries with universal health care. We were last in equity 
and lasting access. So this is uh, countries like Germany and France and England and New Zealand. We're the worst performer. Every one of those other countries, like every country in the world, none of them um, outlaw private competition for the public system in the way that we want. We want a universal public system that everyone can access, but we think they should be entitled to a safety valve if the public system is not providing the care that is needed. How long before you know whether or not you're going to petition the Supreme Court? We, we, we have to do it within the next few months. Mm -hmm. And you'll need support? Yes. Well, it's going to be a long and very challenging journey because, as you say, you're not doing it for your own direct benefit because you will have stopped you know, operating by the time that that ever goes through the system. But I have six kids, so I want a good system for them. Well, and for hopefully all Canadians, because I think that what's so interesting is you're not advocating for an abolition of the, of the system that we have, really just an enhancement, open it up in a way that can provide greater access. And there is no monopoly that is good for the person who's getting the service, none that I can think of, and um, healthcare is no exception. Well, thanks for coming in and sharing this with me. Thank you.